This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by the Charcoal Book Club. Their carefully curated selections reflects the best in contemporary photography and all for a reasonable price. And they're delivered directly to your doorstep each month. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. It's a great way to begin or expand your photo library. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. And remember to use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout. I know how transformative photography can be. When a counselor at the Boys Club of Hollywood introduced me to the magic of photography, neither he nor I could have imagined how making pictures would change my life. Many of you have a similar story, whether you came to photography in your youth or later in life. You know how photography can bring fulfillment, meaning, and joy to one's life. Kirsten Elsner understands that well as the founder and director of the National Geographic Photo Camp, whose mission is to bring the joy and empowerment of photography to youth worldwide. For over 20 years, she and her team of photographers and educators have traveled to over 35 countries, inspiring young men and women to tell their own stories through photography. The book, Photocamp Stories, Our World Through the Lens of Young Photographers, celebrates the many lives the program has touched and the stories they've been able to tell. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Looking forward to the, uh, learning more about this program that you, uh, that you founded. Um, but I wanted to start with um, a question that I have for you is, when did photography change the path of your life? Oh, that would have been, oh, I guess when I was in college. So um, just taking that first photography class and, you know, back then I was working in the dark room and like so many photographers just being amazed by, by that process of shooting black and white film and working in the dark room. So I would say it was when I was in college and deciding to pursue photography as a career path. Was it that the, the sort of cliched but still valid moment of seeing that image appear in the uh, in the developing tray so true yes i mean i will i'll never forget that just watching it um appear the first time and thinking oh my gosh this is like magic and it has been ever since <laughs> did you immediately have a sense or in, in short order that did you recognize the power of, of photographs to just tell a story to move beyond just making a nice singular photograph or that did that come with time i think yeah, that took a while. I don't think I realized that right away. And I, and it took me a while, pretty a long time to figure out what I wanted to do with photography. I just knew that I loved it and it was what I was going to do with my life. But it took some roundabout routes on the journey to, to figure out um, how I could use it or how I could work with photography to be useful in this world. <laughs> and what was your first foray into actually trying to make a life Revolving around photography. <laughs> the first foray was I traveled to New Zealand because my father for graduation said, okay, you know, I'm going to help you um, for your graduation gift. You can pick anywhere in the world that you'd like to go. I'm going to help you get there. So I picked 
New Zealand. And his, um, the caveat was that I had to figure out how to get back. So it was a one way. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a one way ticket. And so I went to New Zealand and I worked on an organic sheep farm and did all these things. But my first foray into photography was that I worked as a photographer for a whitewater rafting company and we were shooting film and I would like shimmy down the rocks, take the pictures of the whitewater rafters, shimmy back up the rocks, print the pictures and sell them to the rafters. So that was <laughs> the first uh, time I thought, oh, I could actually earn money doing this. <laughs> I'm, I'm really impressed with your dad. Yeah. It was, I, the, coolest, it was I, the coolest thing he ever did. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, you can get out and there and have an amazing experience. Get back, you know. <laughs> and so when did, how, how did you start really making uh, a career revolving around photography. Yeah. So I came back um, from, from those travels and realized I should start at home. And so I, I went back to my home in Erie, Pennsylvania and started writing um, articles for the local newspaper and doing photography just as a freelancer. And then that started a, a long um, stint of freelancing. Um, my brother lived in Washington, D.C. I came down here and stayed with him and started working for wire services and Reuters and AFP and the uh, International Red Cross and Red Crescent. I was an assistant for National Geographic back then and just started piecing together the freelance life with photography, which was pretty, pretty good and pretty exciting for, for a time. So you were, were you learning storytelling, visual storytelling? Like, yeah. As, as you were, you know, developing your skills and working and doing it. Yeah, for sure. And then at at a certain point, I decided I need to, you certainly don't need to go to school for photography or to grad school, but I decided that I needed to do that. I needed more training. So I went to Ohio University and did their one year master's program. Uh, I mean, the master's degree itself didn't mean anything, but the experience that I got there uh, was really invaluable to me at that time. What was what was something that you learned there that you feel like you've carried through? throughout your career, both as a photographer and as an educator? That, that you can, you you should decide what motivates you. And even with photography, you know, what is important to you? Um, So for a while after graduate school and and, during and after graduate school, I thought it was newspaper photography and I was, um, that was going to carry me through my career. But I think I learned there that it wasn't going to, um, satisfy me, I think, to try to get on the front page of the newspaper. Um, I really admire people that, that do that and still do that, um, to this day, but that wasn't for me. And so I think I learned there that I, I needed to do something that I thought would be sort of giving back with, with my skills and my talents and what, you know, what I was learning about photography. I wanted to do something that gave back. And I think in lots of creative careers, including photography, you can, you can do that. I was reading, you had sort of the germ of this idea for photo camp for, for a while. And you had talked to other, you know, your other compatriots, other photographers about this idea. And it finally sort of manifests itself. Um, You know, when you're making a living as a photographer, you're so busy with just doing that, making a living, especially as a freelancer, Mm -hmm. making, you know, getting the next assignment and hustling. And the idea of of taking on this whole new project that is going to be its own job um, can be um, daunting to the point that most people just go, okay, I'll do it when I get older. 
but you didn't wait. <laughs> why, why, why at that particular moment yeah. was it important enough for you to put in the time and the effort to make it happen? I don't know. I just think I really cared about designing my life the way that I wanted it to be. And maybe that's something mm. that I learned from my dad and, and my mom as well. You know, that we just had that kind of family, I think, where, um, you know, it was important or it is important to try and do something useful and meaningful with your life. And I think even, you know, at a young age, as I was trying to find my way, um, and where I fit into the world of photojournalism and maybe the people I surrounded myself. I mean, as you probably know, photographers are really, really cool people. They're really, <laughs> really interesting, um, sensitive and caring people. And I think I was hanging around with a lot of photographers. We talked a lot about this type of thing. And I just knew that I wanted to do something that was going to, um, hopefully be useful beyond just, you know, for my, for myself. Yeah. So for people who are listening who may not be familiar with the uh, with the photo camp, why don't you describe what it is and what it's been doing for the last 20 years? Yeah, so photo camp is a photography mentoring program. Um, we work with youth from a variety of situations all around the country and all around the world. But the idea is to use the power of storytelling and photography to guide and inspire young people to see the power of their own stories. Um, so we've been, it started out as something called Vision Workshops, which was my nonprofit that I started, I guess, 22 or so years ago, 22 years ago. And that started um, by working with young people in the juvenile drug court system in my hometown here in Annapolis, Maryland. And as I said, I had been an assistant and knew some folks at National Geographic. So I think I invited some editors and, and people that I knew at Geographic to one of my early fundraisers. And that's how it all began. They sort of became interested and, and talked to me about, you know, National Geographic maybe would be interested in using photography and our, you know, the resources and the talent that they have. Um, and from there, we created PhotoCamp 20 years ago. So what were the these kids, what were you teaching them um, at the time? Because these kids had, they may have known how to take a picture, but they didn't necessarily know how to tell a story or, or even more importantly, uh, believe that they had an important story to tell. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, we were, so I was t taking the things that I learned at Ohio university and my storytelling classes and things like that. And that I had been learning as a young, um, photojournalist, you know, just using those techniques to put the camera and the pen and the journal in the hands of the people whose stories were being told, um, and you're right. Some, some of them had never used a camera before. And, um, the idea was just to, yeah, you're right. Um, sort of ask them to, to use these tools to, to create stories of their own and to know how important and valuable their stories are, no matter what their circumstances. I mean, everyone has a story and whether you're young or old or you're a kid in the juvenile drug treatment court program or, or a student in a community that doesn't generally have access to these types of things. Um, yeah, it, it's listening to them and, and asking them to see the power of their own stories. Were you nervous when you first started doing it? No, no. I really wasn't. I was just, I was just sort of doing it. I was just like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And I have to say, like, I had a lot of fun with it and I still do. I mean, 22 years later, 
I still have so much fun. Every time I walk into the classroom for the first time, everyone's a little anxious, a little nervous. They don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. You're gathering these amazing you know, National Geographic explorers and photographers from around the world, and you're kind of coming together. No one knows what's going to happen. No one really knows what's going to ex- what, what to expect. But something beautiful is always created. I mean, we're asking them to share a story. You know, in five or six days from now, we're going to share your you know group stories or your team stories or individual stories with your families, your communities. We're going to post them on Instagram sometime. You know, like yeah. no one really knows like what that's going to look like, but that's the magic of it. I mean, how many things in your life do you have where you really just don't know what to expect? And it's just, you're kind of creating something with a group of people in person. It's really fun. You're working with these kids for only a limited amount of time. And for Mm -hmm. anybody who's in photography, in in photography, there's so much that, that you're learning and are still learning even after doing it decades, but you're, you're, you know, you're taking on a, a big task in terms of teaching people how to tell story. So how do you kind of refine what are the essential things that these kids have to learn, you know, mm. in terms of say the mechanics of the camera or, or how to approach and look at a scene or a moment and make a photograph. Did you guys sort of yeah. refine what was at the core of what had to be taught in order to be effective? Yeah, I mean, we do have a curriculum that we work off of. It's not a cookie cutter approach. It's, and so I would say in answer to your question, the first thing that we do is we listen. You know, that's in advance mm-hmm. when you're, when you're working with a community liaison and you're learning about the, the challenges that this community faces or the beauty of these children's lives, you know, like young people's lives. So you're listening very carefully in the, ramp up to the class and especially on the first day. You don't really know until then you then you meet them on the first day. Everybody's a little quiet and nervous, like I said at first, but then you listen very carefully. There's writing assignments. I think that's super important. So you dive in quickly on um, having, you know, short writing prompts and assignments that you might determine the night before the class starts with the community team leaders that have, have come in to work with you. So you're really learning about the um, young people themselves. And then, of course, we have our our curriculum. I was going to say our standard curriculum, but I just w- want to emphasize that it's just not a rubber stamp. Like, we're going to do composition on day one and light on day two. I mean, of course, we use all those elements of that you would find in any photography workshop. Light, balance, perspective, composition. And you're using that as your building block. But I have found in my experience, most young people think photography is pretty cool. So it's kind of an easy way to like bring them in. Um, and they love it. We're having fun. We're having campfires at night and they've never had s'mores sometimes. You know, we're doing things like that. So it's a really sort of camp family bonding atmosphere, but you're using photography as the language of your group and the camera kind of unlocks their creativity. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I'd say it's different every time a little bit, but it's based on a foundation of a photography workshop. That that writing prompt, I think is a really, um, a valuable tool to use. Mm -hmm. I use it when I teach certain, 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 some of my classes. Um, Mm -hmm. can you give me an example of one of the writing prompts that you have used and, and, and what came up yeah, one of my favorite recent ones is we have traveled to New Zealand um, on a series of five photo camps, what we did in partnership with Air New Zealand. And on one of those camps, 
um, as I said, our partners find deep roots in the communities and educators for us to work with. So we don't just sort of drop in without, without, um, knowledge. So we worked with a group of Pacifica youth in Auckland. And, you know, this is something that we have known a little bit and, and we've worked, um, along these lines in other camps, but I realized very quickly that, this particular group was very respectful of their elders, very interested in their ancestry and things like that. So we developed a writing prompt, which was essentially simple, write a letter to your ancestors. And I kind of, you know, developed mm-hmm. that again with the team leaders and the community liaison, sometimes with the students themselves. Like, here's my idea. What do you guys want to write about? Here's, you know, help me to de- help me design the writing prompt. So write a letter to your ancestors was was that one in New Zealand. And the students were so, you know, they were very kind of quiet when I was talking about it. And then, uh, but then, you know, I said, okay, the first draft is due. This isn't school. This is, you know, I just want you to have fun with this and, and do something meaningful to you. Um, And it was due at at like five o'clock or something the next day. And they all lined up, all 20 of them lined up at my, you know, office hours there at the camp and they were all wanting to talk with me about it and, um, you know, hone their writing, revise, edit. So it, it was so um, powerful. Some of their writings were so powerful that we ended up doing some video um, you know, recordings of their of them reading their letters, and they were very powerful. Like they, we had a little studio set up in the in the forest outside the photo camp, and they all just you know took it really seriously. They stood up very proudly. Some of them like changed their whole you know, kind of goofy demeanors that they <laughs> had had 10 minutes before. And they very proudly read this letter that they had written to their ancestors. It was really important to them and that paired with their uh, photography. So that was a really cool experience. So uh, w- what does it look like? How, how many students do you have, um, instructors, facilitators? How long does it um, last on average? Yeah, so it's 20 students in each camp. And... The, there are eight staff, so full of National Geographic explorers, photographers, editors, a technical director, logistics coordinator, you know, um, so those type of people. And then four team leaders. We divide the stu- 20 students into four teams, and four team leaders are led by community photographers sometimes, um, explorers that are from that region or from other regions, but just have a, um, you know, a background in, in that particular community, working in those communities. So it's eight, basically eight staff, 20 students, and a couple of community liaisons and partners for a group of about 30 in most camps. And the camps last for five days, five to six days. An intense five days. Yeah, we do a lot. I mean, it's, they stay over with us. Like it's a residential camp. So they're not going, usually they're not going home in the evenings. We are staying at a facility or a lodge or, you know, camp kind of setting together usually like dorms, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's an intense five days, but it's, you know, sunrise assignments to evening campfires all day. There's not a lot of sleeping that happens yeah. <laughs> during the camps. <laughs> you're, you're, you're dealing with kids who come from difficult circumstances. Some may have been refugees or some may have just had hard lives based on where, where they're living. And um, it makes it makes the act of them opening up and expressing themselves a very vulnerable choice to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that you guys, especially with the coordinators, are very sort of sensitive to that. Um, yes, we have to be very cautious. It's not just dropping in and saying, hey, we want to hear your stories. I think 
that it's very important to let them know that this isn't for us. We would like to know if they want to share a story. And if, if they do, it's their choice. It's they own it and they can share whatever story that they would like. It's a lot of listening, a lot of, you know, we are not like, we don't even have our cameras out most of the time. We're not there to photograph. We're there to um, listen and to learn from them. And I think when you pose it that way, you also still have to tread lightly and carefully um, as these stories are being shared with you, um, you know, and lean heavily on your partners to know, you know, what's appropriate to be talking about with these kids and just, you know, we, we, we take a lot of care, uh, with, with that question for sure. Yeah. But I think it's, especially considering what, what's the age range for the people, for the kids that are participating it's 17 to 22. Generally. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, sometimes we've worked with younger, a little bit younger, a little bit older, but generally it's between 17 and 22. But that's an incredibly transformative time. I mean, for something yeah. for that to happen, it can be incredibly empowering because likely most of them have never had an opportunity to realize that they had a voice. Oh, that they well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I, I believe that they've always had a voice and I think they know that too. The way that we talk about it is we are there to, you know, guide or inspire them to see the power of their own voice. Mm. You know, I, I used to say in the early days that we, used, you know, we, we give them a voice, but I don't say that anymore. You know, I say that we, we, uh, encourage them to see the power of their own voice. And that's a very important distinction in the way that I talk about it with them as well. They, they know that, you know, I don't feel like we're there to be the hero The you know, National Geographic has a big name and it can be a little bit intimidating sometimes, but I think it's important that they know that we are there to listen to them and to learn from them. There's a lot of intergenerational mentorship that's happening on a photo camp. You could have as many as five generations of people. Um, if you have some of the older, more experienced photographers and, you know, um, the students themselves, and we're all learning from one another, and I think they know that I think by the end. What are some of the stories that you've, you've we've witnessed these kids share, or these young adults share, um, that really impacted you? We worked um, in a community where there were a lot of transgender youth and again, have treading very carefully and leaning heavily on our partners to, to know, you know, what the backgrounds were of the students and what they wanted to share. And in that community, there was a lot of self-harm, you know, being done sometimes because they had been asked to leave their homes, you know, by parents or family members that didn't understand them, things like that. And, I, this is in, in the book. I, we talk about this because one of, one of the students, you know, had tried to take her own life. That was obviously very, you know, difficult story for her to talk about and, and to tell. But she had, uh, sleeves covering her arms, you know, mm-hmm. where she had tried to hurt, harm herself. And, you know, during the course of our conversations, and it was a real, you know, bonding situation with this entire group of students. They were all really there for one another. And, we were there for them as well and talking about, you know, how photography can help to sort of build your confidence and share your story. And she decided on her own, you know, I'd, I'd like to share this story because I think it can be helpful to other people. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, are you, are you sure you don't have to do, but she made a self portrait of her arms showing these scars and showing the one arm that was free of scars. And, and uh, that was a, a metaphor for her future that she felt that her future was going to be more, positive 
Um, and so that self-portrait that she made was really meaningful to her. And as we were putting together the book, I was working on it during the time I was with that camp. And she's like, I would really love to share my story like in your book, if you're interested. Mm -hmm. And so we did. I mean, it's, um, and so that was really driven by her, but it was a powerful story of using, you know, photography and the beautiful writing that she did to go along with it to, you know, see her own power in her own story. Yeah. And that must have been, really empowering for everyone else who was participating because yeah. I've, 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 I was once teaching a, um, um, a creative writing course to high school students. And mm. part of the exercise was to talk about something that was really important to you, you know, that you had feelings about. And, um, one of the girls in the class and I asked people to come up and read it. And, and this is one of the first times I'd ever taught people around that age group. So I was mm-hmm. bloody terrified because I was looking at all their faces. <laughs> so we adults are terrified oh my God. of teenagers. <laughs> it was, I walked into the room and it's just blank. They're just staring yeah. at me. It's like, they're I'm checking just, out what you're wearing. Yeah. I've just been thrown into the middle of, ch- you know, children of the damned, you know, village <laughs> of the damned. If anybody remembers <laughs> that movie and I'm just getting nothing back. But I, yeah, I keep going. I tell, give him this exercise to do. And this girl was talking about uh, breaking up with a boy who happened to be in sort of the class. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, but but what was remarkable about it is that everybody sort of applauded applauded her applauded her because of the choice to be that open and vulnerable, and that really kind of transformed what everybody else was doing in the class. It was as mm. if it gave them permission to do the same. So I suspect yeah. that um, when you're teaching and facilitating this, when someone like the person you just talked about opens up that way, that mm-hmm. other people around them realize that they can do the same. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I've had that. I've had that happen as well. And, you know, to your point, another thing that happens is that first day, not on all photo camps, but on many, you know, there's a lot of kind of quiet sort of they're teenagers. They're sort of yeah. checking you out. They don't know what to expect. And then by the the final show that we do on the last day, I mean, almost invariably there are tears. We're all hugging and, you know, saying goodbye. We're going to miss each other. And we stay in touch with one another as well. So a community has been created. The ones that want to stay in touch, they all do. I mean, I'm in touch with dozens, I don't know, if not hundreds of students that are, that continue to reach out to me and to the other photographers. And, and, and I know through following along on the WhatsApp group and the Instagram groups and things like oh. that, they stay in touch with one another. I mean, there's a group in Brownsville, Texas that I worked with recently and they're all young, um, aspiring photojournalists. They were, they were a little bit on the older side. They were young, you know, college students basically. So they're all pursuing this career in journalism, ph- photography, um, and storytelling. And I just watch this WhatsApp group where they are just all in touch with one another, getting together, supporting each other's graduations, offering opportunities that they've learned about in photography. It's a, it's a semi, you know, yeah. professional sort of WhatsApp group. But at the same time, they're, you know, going to, the volleyball game and the concert together and stuff. It's a beautiful thing to, to witness um, the bonds that are created and remain for a long time after the camp is over. So when the, when the professional photographer is working with this student um, over the span of five days, tell me how a story sort of takes, takes shape. 
Because, you know, they're, they're going out and they're making photographs, but they don't necessarily have an understanding that, that it's all moving towards the goal of calling images down, editing them and making a selection that tell, that expresses a, a narrative. Tell me about mm-hmm. the relationship between them and the photographer and all the different things that they're learning to be able to make that happen. Yeah, I think they learn, they get the gist of it pretty quickly because we dive in, you know, as you, as you noted, it's a pretty quick and intense workshop. So they figure that out pretty quickly because our, the structure is we generally, you know, the photographers will come in and start, you know, presenting their work and showing the power of photography, showing several stories that they've worked on versus single images. So they're getting the sense of it on the first day, but how do you do that? You know, so the photographers work, you know, as I said, we divide them into four teams. And so they, day one, they get out on an assignment, they do an assignment about light or, you know, go out that first day. And then we review uh, and the editor and the photographers review that work that night. And the very next morning, they're already seeing their work. So, and they're, that work is being discussed in the context of a story, not just like, here's the best image that we saw out of the 3000 that we looked at last night. It's mm-hmm. like, here's a story that could be developed. And then we have discussion groups. Okay. What kind of story do you think you want to tell? And they really warm up to it very quickly. You'd be surprised. Like it took me semesters and years to kind of <laughs> learn yeah. some of these concepts, but we're, we're very focused on it. We're very fo- focused on the power of the story and the sequence. And so the, these photographers, you know, rove throughout the teams, they go out with them photographing, they do the feedback and, you know, we don't really call them critique sessions, we call them feedback sessions because we're trying to, you know, provide learning opportunities. And then on day three, we have a big packet of prints that we that have come from other stories on other photo camps and we throw them out, all out on the table and, okay, green team, see if you can take these 40 pictures and develop a picture story with a beginning, a middle, an end, an overall, a detail, a portrait, you know, so it's not just a series of random pictures, but a, a, an eight print story that, you know, tells an actual narrative story from another photo camp that they weren't even part of. And they love that exercise because it also brings them into the photo camp family. They're looking at a story on rickshaw drivers in India or um, a fishing community in Alaska or something. And they think that's kind of cool too, because those are all young photographers just like them. And But their team has to take this big pile of photos and create a narrative story. So it's a common, you know, I think photography workshop exercise, but we kind of work on it all day, every day until the last day, each team presents their own story. And then we have this, you know, final show and they might not really get it until after that day, but that's okay. Like then they can go on into their lives and, and use that technique if they, if they want to, you know. The Charcoal Book Club is back as a sponsor and wants to share a special event coming in 2024. The Chico Review is an annual event that gathers photographers to celebrate their love for photography. It's more than just an opportunity to share your work and meet publishers and editors. It's a rare chance to be surrounded and immersed by a community that prioritizes photography and being a photographer over the latest camera reviews. If you have never had such an experience, mark the date and register for the event scheduled for March 17th through the 24th in Prey, Montana. Find out more by visiting ChicoReview.com or visit CharcoalBookClub.com today. Thank you.
when looking at the the photographs on on the website, I'm so impressed by um, some of the sophistication of some of the compositions, and yeah. I can't help but feel like that it's like it's like they don't necessarily know what they're doing, but there there must be something sort of intrinsically uh, happening yeah. that allows them to make a composition that I go. Damn, it took me 30 years to learn how to do that. <laughs> yeah, and also it's just a fresh eye. You know, so not this isn't true of all of them for sure, but some of them have never held a camera or never held this kind of camera or never thought about composition or this kind of storytelling. And it's also just, you know, I love working with young photographers because they just have this fresh, unjaded eye. And I think a lot of people just understand composition or they're artistic or creative. And they're yeah. also seeing National Geographic work that, that same morning and talking about composition and then seeing their own work up on the screen and having the photographers say, wow, look at, look how beautifully you've used the rule of thirds here. And then of course they're inspired the next day. I mean, you work with young people, it sounds like as well. I mean, just a little bit of encouragement on something real, something that they really have done well. Yeah. A pat on the back, some encouragement at that age. I remember that. Like that can change your life. Oh, absolutely. Change the trajectory of what you decide you want to do with your life. That's why I became an English major because my high school English teacher told me I was a pretty good writer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like someone told me I'm good at something. Like the, those things matter. It started domestically. Now it's international. It has been international for quite a while. Um, how is how have you had to sort of adapt um, and sort of reshape it as as you've taken it abroad? Yeah, I wouldn't say we've, we've reshaped it, but just being you know culturally aware, culturally con conscious, making sure that we understand the context by working closely with community partners and not just kind of jet setting in and, and not having an understanding of the community. So we, we work really hard to uh, also work with a really diverse range of National Geographic explorers and photographers. They are from all over the world and they, you know, they, um, you know, making sure you have someone that's from the region or speaks the language, speaks Spanish. Um, so I would just say adapting in that way, making sure that we are truly um, trying to bring something positive and useful um, to the communities in which we serve and to try and understand and listen as, as best as we possibly can in each circumstance. Uh, tell me about this, you know, the support that you've gotten, you've mentioned national geographic, but you know, there's a, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of effort and a lot of money involved in making this happen, especially over sort of two decades. Um, mm -hmm. and that's a whole new thing you had to learn, right? Right. I didn't know how to, to find, at the beginning, I was, you know, through vision workshops, I was fundraising and trying to piece it all together and figure it out that way. But National Geographic Society is a huge, um, you know, support of the program. It's, it is a National Geographic Society program. And so they fund, um, the workshops. They find partners that also support the workshops financially. Um, you know, Fujifilm camera has donated cameras for us. Um, there's a great staff. I, you know, I can't believe I have this incredible team and, and staff at National Geographic Society that makes, uh, you know, to your point, all so many different things have to work. The equipment, the, the carnets for, for, for sending equipment overseas, just, you know, the contract, just all the, mm -hmm. all the administrative and other types of support, uh, as well as, you know, idea support and brainstorming and things like that. So National Geographic Society is, um, really, leaned into this project and 
understood the the value um, and the potential of it. So yeah. that's been really exciting over the years. Well, I know that um, you've transformed a lot of lives. Um, you know, I was watching uh, uh, about one fella who uh, I think I forget what country in Africa they were profiling him. And he was, uh, he didn't even have a camera. He was just taking his memory card and asking different people to use their camera. And then eventually, uh, began a career as a photojournalist, which I thought was yeah. just amazing. And that likely was something yeah. you probably could never have anticipated when you first had the germ of this idea in your head. Yeah, that was the story of Bullen Chol. And I love how you told the story. The one part you, you missed is that, so he would take that SD card that he got his hands on an SD card and put it in cameras that he was borrowing from his friends that worked for the NGOs in South Sudan is where he was. And he won a prize with one of his photographs, the prize for which was a camera. And that is the camera that he began to use. Um, so I, I know his story very well, and it's it's indicative of, of I think, what you're asking about, um, because he was really inspired by a photographer named Ed Cashy. You may yeah, have yeah. heard of him. And Ed was... Oh, you've had him on the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he was one of the mentors on this um, camp that, this photo camp that Bolin was on. Bolin was on track to, he was maybe going to try to study business or something like that, but his life was completely changed by that photo camp and he decided to become a photojournalist. And now he is a working photojournalist. We have hired him to come back as a team leader for a photo camp we did in um, a refugee settlement in Uganda. He grew up in a refugee camp himself. So he came in as a team leader. And now next week, he is coming to Washington, D.C., National Geographic headquarters to serve as a team leader for our 20th anniversary alumni class. Um, so we've kept in good, you know, he, he has definitely kept in touch with me. We probably text each other, you know, pretty often. And um, I follow along with his career and, you know, continue to, to try and provide um, mentorship and opportunities for him as well as he teaches me a lot as well. So, yeah. You know, one of the um, conversations that I've heard uh, recently is the idea of the ethics of uh, telling the stories of people who have experienced trauma mm -hmm. and, and the responsibility that a, 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 the storyteller, a, a writer or a photographer has. Um, but in this particular case, um, you're empowering people who, the very people who have experienced to tell their, tell their own stories. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you feel that that's, if it has at all, sort of changed or helped your own sense of that responsibility, um, evolve or, or change or be influenced by what you've witnessed? Mm. Well, I think you're right. The, the, point behind this entire project is for the young people themselves who are experiencing the, the, like I, I always say the, the challenges and also the beauty and, you know, all the things that are part of their story. They're the ones telling these stories, not me mm -hmm. and not someone else that's coming in. We're, we're there to listen, to learn, to, to learn their stories and understand but they're the ones ultimately in charge of where they're going to point the camera, what they're going to write about. It's their story to tell. Um, that one of the young refugees that I have worked with, and I write about her in the book as well, Abigail, she at one point said um, to us, you know, I've learned that my story is really important and that maybe it can inspire others. So that's her choice. 
you know, to, mm. to take that story and tell what she wants of it. Um, and if she feels like it might inspire other people, then that's her choice, not, not ours, you know? So, so tell me about putting together the, the book, because you had a, a lot of material, a lot of stories to, <laughs> to have to choose from. It must have been a dawning effort uh, in and of itself, on top of everything you're already doing, <laughs> making the choice to take on a book. <laughs> well, it was, there was a whole team. There was a team um, of, of a, a writer and a designer and a photo editor, Kathy Moran, a well-known and incredible photo editor that was working on the project. Of course, I worked closely with Kathy and the writer to... Um, you know, provide all the hard drives and, you know, uh, background on all the camps and stories and mainly the writing, you know, to try and figure out which excerpts of writing to use your write. It was daunting, but it was also really, I think it was important because when I look at that book now and I see it all woven together, it really, um, I think it weaves together a story of these generations of young people that's very hopeful, very positive, despite challenges that many of them have gone through. Um, I think it tells a story of the power of young people's voices in the world. What did you, when you looked at the book, especially when you finally held, you know, the, the mock-up of the book and you held it in your hands and you looked at it, what did you think about what you had started? When you saw that, because it's one uh, thing, cried. Okay. Because it's one thing to sort of be in the middle yeah. of it, doing it all the time and knowing that you've had an impact. But when you're holding something tangible that reflects all those years of effort, uh, it's, it's a completely different experience. Yeah. And I just felt like, wow, this is their book. You know, this mm. is, I can't wait to, when the alumni class in a cup comes in a couple of weeks, I can't wait to give them all copies of it. The many of them are represented in the book. Um, I don't know how we're going to, we're going to try and share the book with as many people that are represented in it as we possibly can. But yeah, when I looked at it the first time, I, I just cried because it was so much work. I'd never done anything like that before. And again, it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't create the book. It was a book being created by a team at National Geographic, but I poured my heart and soul into it. And, and, um, you know, advising and supporting and, and helping select and images and, and writing and things like that. And it, it just meant a lot to me. And it also helped me, um, you know, just be really excited and inspired to keep going forward with it. It's, you know, 20 years isn't the end of it. It's just, I oh, feel yeah. like it's just starting. I mean, I know? hear it in your voice. You're just as excited now as you likely were when you I know, were totally. Started. Like, it's like, you have no idea. It is so much fun. I mean, how lucky am I to be able to, you know, create something like this and then create it alongside these teams of amazing people. So it's certainly not one person that, I mean, I might have come up with the idea 20 years ago, but now there's teams of people that love it and get get it and are inspired by it. And then thousands of students that now also really get it. And, and the, one of the more important parts of it that I'd love to share is that some of these students are now pitching ideas for photo camps. They're becoming National Geographic Young Explorers. They've applied for grants and gotten grants. Not, not tons of them, but I think there's four of them that have gotten Young Explorer grants. And one of those has recently pitched an idea to do a photo camp in his community in Huchitan, Mexico. We just did that a few months ago. Like, those are the types of things that are so exciting. It's not just sort of me picking places and finding, you know, figuring out ideas of how to do this. It's now, you know, legions of other people and young people that are, that love this because they realize how fun it is and how important it is. And so new ideas are being infused into it so how all do, the time, which is, yeah, I find that really exciting. So how do, how do people like, 
How are the kids chosen to participate in in this? How do people within those communities know to get involved? I know you're working with organizations, but are you pretty much relying on the organizations to help make that part of it happen? Yeah, definitely. The partner organizations select the communities and when we vet them, of course, we we you know learn as much as we can. Um, but the partner organizations select the students and the, and the uh, schools and things like that, that we work with. Um, so yeah, we lean heavily on our partners in that sense. And how many of these do you hold a year? This year we had, uh, the, we're doing our last one in a couple of weeks and that'll be number 16 this year. And wow. it, it's, it has varied a little bit wide, wildly in the past few years because of the pandemic. So I think in 2019, we were on a roll. I think we did like 20 photo camps in 2019, um, which doesn't sound like a huge amount, but as I've mentioned, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's very tailored to the community. So 20 was a, was a good number. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And so we were virtual for a couple of years. We did some very cool virtual photo camps during those years. And then starting in 2022, I guess that was just last year, ramped up the in-person again. I mean, we have the capacity to do more than 20 for sure, because now we have lots of people who are interested. We have staff, we have, you know, um, equipment and things like that. But our general numbers <laughs> have varied quite a bit, especially over the past few years. Um, and since you started it, um, the ubiquity of, of smartphones and the ability for everybody to take photographs is pretty obvious. I mean, you just walk out your front door and everybody's sort of looking at this little piece of metal and circuitry in their hand all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's changed people's relationship to photography, right? Um, even, um, especially the access of, of, of a sophisticated camera which was mm -hmm. really out uh, because of the cost was just outside the means of a lot of people, especially out outside of like Western developed countries. Um, how, how has that, that device sort of changed um, the way that the students relate to the photography, not only when they come to you, but, you know, when you're working with them, has that had a significant influence? Well, I think one thing that we talk about during the photo camp is that it doesn't really matter what your what device you're using. Um, we happen to be using these Fujifilm cameras that then, you know, we always wish that we could leave them with the students, but working with thousands of students, you know, you, you can't, we have two kits of equipment that travel around the world. And I think the students appreciate that. Of course, they jokingly or sometimes not so jokingly say, Oh, can we, you know, keep this camera? But they also, I think they, they find it valuable that it's going to another, um, place and that other people are going to have this experience. In fact, they, they write little camera bag notes that you might have seen in the back of the book as well that they tuck into the camera bags saying, good luck with the camera, take good care of it. <laughs> so I think they also appreciate the fact that this is a, program that travels around the world. And, um, but anyway, you know, on one of the last days we talk about, you know, what's next after, after the photo camps over and the cameras are packed away and many, not all of them, but many of them have cell phone cameras that they can use. And we talk about the idea that it's not the camera, it's the intent behind the camera and it's the eye behind the camera, the story that you want to tell, you can use your cell phone. We encourage them to use their cell phones to continue telling stories if they don't have access to another camera. Um, 
So, yeah, I think that it's, that's important because now so many more, it's such a democratic, you know, art form. So many more people have um, the ability to take pictures with their phones, but we should mention that not all of them do, you know, we work in lots of different communities and not all of them have cell phone cameras. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something to think about and talk about and talking about writing, writing their own stories. Um, so yeah, it, it has changed, but not fundamentally. Yeah. Um, As you mentioned before, there have been some of the uh, participants who have gone on to professional careers. And as you well know, um, uh, the professional photographic world, be it editorial or commercial, has sort of changed dramatically. Um, Some people lament, you know, the past and sort of romanticize what was, what was past. Uh, but you know, when you, when you are working with people, uh, like these young people who are, um, probably just as excited and enthusiastic about making pictures and telling stories as we were when we were their age, um, you know, they aren't as dour about future possibilities. Um, so how, yeah. how do you sort of, how do you and the team sort of help, help them to sort of facilitate that pursuit? you know, once the, the photo game's over. Yeah. I mean, they don't have anything to compare it to the, the old, the old days. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> they, they don't know um, maybe what some people are, are kind of complaining about in the changes in the industry. But um, you know, there are all kinds of ways that, that people make a life and a living with photography. And I think we just encourage them to keep, keep talking with us, keep, um, you know, applying for grants. I can't tell you how many letters of recommendation I've written for mm-hmm. some of these PhotoCamp alum for grants that they're applying for and, um, you know, studies, college programs and things like that to study journalism and photography. And we should say that the, the point of PhotoCamp is not to develop, um, all of these students into photographers and photojournalists. It, it doesn't matter really what they end up doing as long as they've had a, a good, a solid, ex- meaningful experience with us in, in talking about their own stories. But the ones that do, you know, to your, to the point of your question, the ones that do want to pursue that career, like Bolin, as we've talked about, um, in South Sudan and so many others, there are ways, you know, I mean, I don't mean to be naive, but there are ways mm-hmm. that you can make it as a photographer. And we hope to, uh, inspire with role models. Some of the, um, particularly some of the team leaders that come in are the new, um, National Geographic Explorer, flash photographers, storytellers that come in to work with them, they present their work and say, you know, hey, I'm 25 years old and just a little bit older than, than you all. And this is how my career has progressed. This is how I got a grant from National Geographic Society or, or other grants. This is what I'm working on. This is what I'm doing. So there are lots of ways. I, I think I've learned so much from some of these Nat Geo explorers about the different ways, the different types of people that are making a living with storytelling and photography careers that I never even knew of. It's mm-hmm. There's some incredibly innovative people. And I think that that's inspiring to the youth. They, they, they might not all aspire to be a Nat Geo explorer or photographer, but they can see just the other day we had a photo camp and one of the students stood up and said, he was a DC um, resident and said, wow, you guys are all so passionate about what you do. And with photography, I think I've learned a lot from that. And that's going to help, that's going to help inform the way I live my life and choose my career. He said it more eloquently than that, but I thought that that's one of the ways that we, um, 
kind of talk about that conversation with them. Is there um, a particular story that really um, challenged your assumptions of a community, of a people, of a um, of a group? That when you when you saw the work, it really made you realize that, oh, I thought I knew, but I really didn't. Yeah, not really. I don't have a good answer for that. I can't. I can't think of uh, of an example of something like that. Um, I hope that I'm just kind of open when I get there, but um, I, I can't think of a, a time that I was like really surprised by. Mm by something or, or my assumptions were challenged because hope, hopefully maybe, maybe, maybe like the best, um, you know, I, I hope that maybe my, I didn't have as many assumptions coming into a lot of these places as, as I might've, mm. I, I try to keep my mind open when I get there. <laughs> you know? How's this work made you a better photographer and storyteller? A better storyteller for sure. Um, yes. And I think that I wish I could be doing more photography myself. I'm sometimes not, but I recently got a new camera. So you know how exciting that is because I'm learning so much from the students, from the photographers I'm working with. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, I really am not shooting as much because I don't have time. Um, but I have decided to get this, get this new camera in my hands. And that's really jazzed me, um, about starting some more photography work of my own again. Has it, um, Giving you a little sense of greater clarity in terms of what stories are important for you to tell? Yeah, yes, definitely. In fact, just recently, I started making portraits of and interviewing for the stories of my mom. Mm. Because she's told me really cool stories over the years. And I've always been like, oh, that's interesting. You know, never really written them down or anything. But just this past summer, I thought, why don't I lean into the advice that I'm giving all these students around the world, you know? Um, uh, focus on your own story. And I decided to do a project with my mom where I'm interviewing her and she is loving it. I thought she'd be kind of nervous in front of the camera, but she's, she loves it and it's so important. And I will have that, that, uh, project with me for the rest of my life. And I'm so glad that I'm doing it now instead of, you know, wishing I had done it later. Yeah. You know? I think that the, the, the project in the book are, are, um, a valuable lesson for anyone who picks up a camera because all of the, all of the people in this book are telling their own story, mm-hmm. right? They're, and they're not looking mm-hmm. at themselves and going, Oh, I live in an exotic location. You know, right, it's, right. it's what they know. And yeah. Or I live in a location that's not beautiful. Like they're there to, they're showing us the beauty of whatever location. Yeah. It's just, it's the way in, that yeah. they're seeing it that makes it special and remarkable and yeah. beautiful and impactful. Yeah. And I think that goes for anyone um, mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's just making. Yeah. It- sometimes we think our own stories aren't that interesting, but they're, they're fascinating. Like no matter who you are, everyone has a story and you see things that nobody else sees, you know, point your camera at it and, and show us. And put it together. I mean, these, these young people often, I, you know, like put it together in a little portfolio. Don't, don't worry what we did during the camp. That was only five days. Now you have thousands of images and these, these writing drafts that we've stayed up all night looking at and, and reading, like put it together in a portfolio piece. Um, 
And I think that they do that. They send me things all the time after the camp. Like, what do you think about this? And, you know, I love that. Uh, If people are listening and they they go, I would love for something like this to be brought to my community or to be supportive of it. How, how would they go about that? Well, they can reach out to me. Um, They can find me on Instagram. I mean, maybe that's a a good way to, um, I'm always looking for and and interested in ideas. Um, in various communities. Now, the most important thing is that they have a really deep connection to youth populations in that community. Um, it can't just be, you know, something like, Oh, I'd love to go to some faraway place and, and have a photo camp. Like it has to be, um, you know, we look for partners who work already and are deeply, um, invested in, in various communities. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, we're always open for ideas and I can, maybe drop in the chat or you could um, include my Instagram. That's a good way to reach me. It's at Kirsten Elsner. And they should also follow at NG photo camp to kind of see the stories that we're working on, the types of stories that we do. Okay. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long oh. admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh my goodness. There's so many. Um, Victor Zaya. From Cusco, Peru. Um, his last name is Z-E-A, Victor Zea. And I've recently started working with him and he's the, a master of light and a wonderful teacher that we've uh, had working on several photo camps this year. Well, awesome. Kirsten, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. It was great talking with you. Over the past year, we have lost many great photographers, including Elliot Erwitt, Douglas Kirkland, Larry Fink, and John Isaac, all of whom I've met and three of whom I was honored to have as guests on the show. I'm so glad that I had a chance to spend time with each of them. Their passings remind me of one of the reasons why this show is so important. In a small way, it serves as an important archive of the photographers and their work, but it also shares their humanity through these intimate conversations. It's a big reason I do this, and I hope you'll support it financially by becoming a Patreon supporter today. You can contribute five, ten, twenty dollars or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Again, it's patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Thanks. Thanks to Kirsten for joining us. Learn more about the National Geographic Photo Camp by visiting nationalgeographic.org or visiting our website. And if you're a fan of our work, you can write reviews on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on your social networks via Twitter, slash X, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandidFrame. You can also support us financially by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. Thanks to Zach Winnegar, Patrick Gautier, and Carl Warren for their recent contributions. We've also relaunched our newsletter if you want to receive updates on everything related to TCF, including book recommendations, announcements for special events and workshops from us and some of our guests. Please sign up by visiting our website. And if you can't find every show episode on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Canada Frame app. Available for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frames audio engineer is Martin Taylor. You can find at the other martintaylor.com. 
the show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.